Welcome back to Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. I'm Tyler. Hello, my cornies. I'm Mike. Mike, what are your general thoughts on zombie movies? I'd say they've been pretty outdated, worn down. It started off as, you know, the horror genre, especially in the 60s by George A. Romero. He heightened that genre to what it is now, but um, it definitely lost its touch over the years. So today we're talking zombies, but not in the traditional sense. In fact, we're talking about a couple movies that are probably more relevant in 2020 than ever. Before that, Mike, plug our socials. Guys, follow us on Instagram, Corn Syrup Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Corn Syrup Pod. We've gotten like 250 followers um, since our last podcast. We're, we're blowing up, dude. We're making it big time. And uh, don't forget, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So that's Google, it's Spotify, that's Apple. So you can find us on there. We also have a really cool new way that you can support the podcast. We are on a website called buymeacoffee.com. Our specific URL is buymeacoffee.com slash pod. It's a really neat way to support the podcast. Go on there, buy me and Mike a coffee, buy us a beer. That's a cool way for us to be able to keep the podcast going, buy bigger and better equipment, better editing software. So hopefully we can continue bringing you more and more content. So today we're talking about 28 Days Later and its sequel, 28 Weeks Later. I saw 28 Days Later a long time ago when I was a kid, and I don't think I fully understood what the movie was about. I think at the time I just thought it was another cookie cutter zombie movie. But now watching this movie in 2020, it's a lot more than that, man. And this is this is a movie that has a lot to say. It takes the zombie concept and adds a nice little twist into it. I was the same way. I watched this as a kid. Never really thought much about it. Um, when I was doing some research on it, Danny Boyle said he wanted to do a zombie movie where they run and like I thought that's what they always were and then looking back I was like oh that actually never happened before they were always these slow walking and these goofy not really scary zombies but this movie just heightened it up these are zombies on steroids and he hits it on the head this is a scary zombie movie yeah, and the thing is, they're not even really zombies in the traditional sense. You and I, growing up, we knew zombies to be living dead people, people that came back from the dead. This time around, it's more like they're injected with this transmittable rage where they just become rabid beasts. And it's really a movie about a virus and a pandemic. And that's one of the reasons we decided to talk about it here today is it's become super relevant again, if not more relevant than it was back in 2002, 18 years ago when Danny Boyle created it. Who would have thought a virus movie would be so relevant in 2020? So two years prior to this is when Danny Boyle made The Beach, which is based on a novel by Alex Garland. And Alex Garland ended up writing the screenplay for 28 Days Later. And most people know if you're into film, you know who Danny Boyle is. He won an Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. He made 127 Hours. He made the Steve Jobs movie with Michael Fosbender, the good one, not the shitty one with Ashton Kutcher. And then Alex Garland himself became a pretty good director. He created Ex Machina, 
which was critically acclaimed, and he also made Annihilation. So he's become a pretty big sci-fi director himself, and you can you can just tell, man, this is a movie that's so professionally well done, so well written. This is just a really, really effective tandem in Danny Boyle and Alex Garland. Right. A really well-made movie on a really low budget of $8 million. And it looks like a low budget movie. It looks all of that $8 million. It has like a grindhouse feel to it. You know, like you kind of feel like you're watching something very cheap, something dirty kind of. How how do, how do you think that has aged, you know, 18 years later watching this movie? I don't think it's aged great. So I have a I really agree. old and cheap DVD player and I was watching the DVD and I honestly thought it was just my shitty DVD player. But really, that's just the way the movie looks. So when I think of like a dirty, grimy movie, a lot of the times I think back to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which is dirty and grimy in an effective way. It makes you feel like you're in, you know, the backwoods of Texas and everybody's sweating and they're dirty. This movie felt grimy in a bad way. It it was it almost took away from the experience of the movie and kind of made me wish we had a more modern version of the movie. Right, or I wish I had a Blu-ray player and I could watch it on there cuz I I hope it looks better on Blu-ray because I really had a hard time seeing this movie, not watching it. I couldn't really tell what was going on a lot of the time. Yeah, it's almost like it needs a remastered version. I don't know if we'll ever get that at this point, but it, it, I mean, sign me up for it if we do. It still was a major hit at the box office on such a low budget of $8 million. It was still uh, able to bring in $85 million worldwide. And that's kind of when the zombie genre was dying. I mean, I, I hate that I have to keep calling this a zombie movie because that's not what it really is, but for but for the hell of it, we'll just call it a zombie movie. Critics gave this movie an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Fans somewhat agreed with that, and they gave it an 85%. So you said it's not a traditional zombie movie, and it's definitely not, but oddly enough, it really reinvigorated the zombie genre. Two years after this was the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which is really one of my favorite zombie movies ever. Maybe that's just a nostalgia thing. I grew up watching that quite a few times. And then uh, Shaun of the Dead also came out in 2004, which is a hilarious movie. So even though this wasn't your grandfather's zombie movie, they're not living dead people, it really gave new life to the genre. And director Danny Boyle himself was obviously influenced by George A. Romero's Living Dead franchise, but he said a lot of his influence came from playing the Resident Evil video game in 1996. One of the coolest things about this movie, man, is the music. Great it, it, music it, by John Murphy. Is the music just perfect in this movie or what? What's one word you would use to describe the music? It's fucking epic, man. Like right. it just keeps building and building. And there's certain moments in the movie that we'll get into a little bit further where it just builds perfectly and really adds to the intensity and the atmosphere. Right. It's not scary, really, but it just kind of makes your palms sweat just listening to it. There's like so much tension just listening to that music. So I searched this uh, music on YouTube and I was reading some comments and it seems like this is the type of music a lot of joggers 
listen to and they because they just get such a rush when they listen to that epic music it makes you just want to run away from zombies and i really love that because that's exactly what i feel i feel like i could just run through a brick wall if i'm if i'm ever getting chased by someone (laughs) i'm putting this on and i could run for days yeah when you're watching the movie and you start to hear the music play you're absolutely you're drawn to your tv completely like you can't take your eyes off the tv so the movie uh starts off with killian murphy laying in bed naked you get a beautiful shot of his penis. You don't really see a lot of penises in mainstream movies. I was trying to think of other times I've seen a penis. There was uh, Jason Siegel in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Sure. Not that as beautiful. Was, not as beautiful, yeah. So oddly enough, that's that culminates in one of my favorite shots of the entire movie when he wakes up from a coma and he realizes that he's all by himself in the hospital and he goes out into the streets of london and he starts looking around he starts seeing the the missing person flyers and that's when you first get a sense of how desolate and bleak the situation is you get that overhead shot of london just being absolutely empty he wakes up and he chugs the pepsi unfortunately he couldn't get his hands on a coke team coke beggars can't be choosers i guess but yeah man it's such a cool scene and that's when you first hear john murphy's score and his first encounter with the zombies um actually pretty funny uh when he hits him and says i shouldn't have done that and then that just ends up making more and more come after him it's actually kind of like a humorous um approach to you know his first encounter but it's something to be said about Jim's character, I think, that the first place he goes to is the church. Yeah, right. I mean, if you woke up in his situation, what, where's the first place that you're going? Wawa. <laughs> yeah. But that also means that you have to make your own hoagie. I mean, you can't go to the deli screen and, you know, wait for somebody. <laughs> and if anybody's listening to this and they don't live on the East Coast, you're not going to understand that yeah. joke. Sheets, Seven Eleven, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's the equivalent. And if you're listening overseas, then you're really shit. Yeah, you have luck. no idea what the hell we're talking about and- You're probably turning this off right now. But then it's after that church scene, Jim, played by Killian Murphy, meets Mark and Selena. And you get a really important, necessary exposition as to what's going on. They tell Jim exactly what's going on. The virus has taken over. There's really nobody left. And it's there where you realize or you think you realize that Mark and Selena are going to be in the movie for the long haul. And then... There's just a badass scene, man. Selena kicks ass. She takes matters into her own hand. Mark is eventually bitten, um, and Selena sees this, and she just chops Mark to bits, basically. In turn, rather than having Mark and Selena both on the ride with us, that kind of tells you a lot about Selena and what role she's going to play in the movie. Selena is played by Naomi Harris, a very good actress. Her and Danny Boyle kind of had this backstory for Selena. So the character of Selena killed her brother, her mother, and her father because they were infected. So she really has no remorse for anybody or anything. She'll kill when she has to. So it's never explained in the movie, but that's something that Danny Boyle and Naomi Harris went over to kind of get a feel of what this character would be like. And after Jim first meets Selena and Mark is when he insists on going to his parents' house to see if they're still alive. It's a heartbreaking scene. There's about four or five of these scenes in this movie that really tug at the heartstrings a little bit. But he finds his parents dead in bed. They left a note. Basically, their last wish was for Jim to not wake up. Uh, So it's a super emotional scene. Later in their journey, Jim and Selena come across Frank played by Brenton Gleeson. He's really one of the better characters in a movie 
full of really good characters, frankly. And Frank is accompanied by his uh, little daughter, Hannah. And Frank just kind of takes on the role of the lovable goofball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's also a badass. Like when yeah. you're first introduced to him and he's wearing like the army shield and all that, he's, he's kicking ass. And then, you know, he takes off his mask and he's just revealed as kind of a sweet old man. Well, that's what makes his character so cool, man. Like, he's very nice and lovable, but don't mistake that for weakness. Right. Especially when it comes to protecting his daughter. I think this, the scene in the grocery store is hilarious when they're driving and they stop for food and Frank is collecting all the expensive liquor. And then at the end, he leaves his credit card on the counter. Right. And Frank's just the man, dude. Like, I mean, we mentioned his relationship with his daughter, but there's also a point where Jim is having a nightmare and Frank wakes him up and tells him, hey, you're, you know, you're just dreaming. He's just a super well-rounded character. So we're talking about our favorite characters. Uh, his daughter, Hannah, played by Megan Burns, a uh, terrible actress. It was kind of hard to watch her yeah. try to spit out her lines. So I looked at her IMDb to see if she's been in anything. No, this was her only major motion picture. We know why she was a terrible actress. I'm I'm sure she's a sweet lady, and I'm sure she's listening to us right now. But I'm sure when you're acting with Brendan Gleeson, Killian Murphy, and Naomi Harris, you're not going to look that great. But yeah, yikes, she was bad. Unfortunately, the character of Frank, the the development of his character, all kind of leaves you to a heartbreak. Very, just an absolute heartbreaking death. It's equal parts heartbreaking, equal parts noble. You know, he pushes his daughter away. He makes a point to save her, even though it kind of makes him look like an asshole the way he does it. But man, it's just, it's brutal to watch. And once he dies, it's kind of when the three characters, you know, are kind of shit out of luck, especially with the military. I always wonder what would have happened, you know, if Frank was still around when the military was trying to pull their plan you know, because he definitely would have not gone down without a fight. And their entire journey is based on reaching the military. They heard on the radio that they needed to go to a certain spot in order to reach safety and be reunited with other people that can help protect them and feed them and give them shelter. And so they finally reach these people. Unfortunately, Frank does not make it without becoming infected and having been killed. So they finally reach this mansion, and obviously the movie the movie goes from being a zombie movie in a sense to a totally different type of survival movie. It's revealed that the military has very disturbing motives. They basically want to use Selena and Hannah and any other woman that they can find in order to repopulate. Yeah, and that's kind of when this movie turns into a zombie movie into, you know, it's the humans are... The ones that we should be worried about, our fellow man. That's why this is not just a zombie movie, not just because they're not living dead people, but it's really it's really a political movie. Definitely is, you know, and we were talking about this, like if this movie were to come out now in 2020, it kind of just would have been like a try hard, like uh, you're trying to be edgy, like you're trying to be all political. But the fact that this came out in 2002 is so ahead of its time and so relevant now. If you made this movie today, it's almost too on the nose. Right. But you get Christopher Eccleston, who's a pretty popular British actor. He plays Major Henry West. He's a gigantic dickbag. He's the leader of this military base, for lack of a better word. Yeah. He, you know, he's the one that really brings into play the whole political allegory. You know, he says this virus is not 
the world's biggest problem. The biggest problem is people killing people. And clearly that is a sentiment that that rings loudly here in 2020. And, you know, there's that scene in the very beginning, even before we see Jim wake up, is with people rioting, people killing each other, hanging each other. So this is a movie not only about a virus, but the effect that has on society. And in turn, it's, it's not only infecting people with this rage, but even, even the people that are not infected are just turning on each other and brutalizing each other. And again, this movie came out in 2002. Watching this movie in 2020, it really makes it all that much scarier. If this wasn't such like a low budget movie where uh, like the picture isn't that great, I would think that this movie was made like last year, but you know, because of that grindhouse uh, feel and that low budget, you can definitely tell this movie's pushing twenty years old. But mm. everything is so relevant now. Like, sure, the the, the zombies are infected, quote unquote, with the rage virus. But are they really, or is it just like a super heightened depiction of society itself? Because man versus man, yeah, right. And you get that that image of Jim at the end. And obviously you dig into his actions a little bit where he, he almost doesn't look like himself anymore. He looks menacing. Like it almost like he's foaming at the mouth a little bit and he gouges that soldier's eyes out. And that's not something that the Jim we knew at the beginning of the film or it even in the middle of the church. Film, yeah. You didn't know or think that he could ever be capable of that. So I think Danny Boyle, you know, directed this in a way where on the surface it may look like a zombie movie. It may even look like a movie about a pandemic. But I just think – I think Danny Bull had a lot of intelligent things to say about society and he masked it in a way that made a made for a really, really good horror movie. That's a good point. And you even bring in the uh, military who are kind of the bad guys towards the end of the movie. I'm sure 28 days prior, they all were normal family men. Yeah, and there's and there's something to be said about how they can't even trust Major Henry West or any of his comrades. You know, these are people you're supposed to be able to turn to in times of need, and you can't even trust them. And it's not a matter of you know left versus right. This is this is just fact that oftentimes we look at political figures as people that are going to have our backs, and so often we feel as though they turn their backs. And as the viewer, you're kind of hoping that these quote-unquote zombies will uh, come to Jim's rescue, which they eventually do. But it's funny how, like, the table turns. Just now you're hoping that, you know, the military men are the ones that are getting eaten and the zombies kind of stay alive. And speaking of that, man, I love that shot where Jim is standing on the wall with the barbed wire and it's pouring rain and he unchains the infected soldier. Great scene. And of course, the music is building. That damn music. I love the scene of uh, Hannah when she was backing up the car uh, with Henry West in the back seat, and the infected grabs him right through the back window. That's great. Well, that's well shot, and, they, and that's a great death scene. I think another underlying theme of this movie, obviously, everything is going to shit. The world is literally burning around them. But I actually do think that there's a little bit of hope Throughout the course of this movie, we definitely see it at the end where the zombies are dying out due to starvation and Selena, Jim, and Hannah are all living together and they have these markers in place to try to attract the attention of the planes going by and one of them flies over the house 
but the film ends with Jim smiling. And so I think I do, they saw us. Yeah. yeah. And I do think that there's an underlying theme of hope. And I actually, the first time I got that sense in the movie was when Frank, shortly before Jim had his nightmare and Frank woke him up, Frank was standing in the field looking at the horses, just eating his apple, just basically admiring the horses. And it was just like this moment of tranquility in a world where, again, everything is just turning to shit. They were content with with uh them for you know kind of being a family and starting this new journey because they all liked one another and you know they all liked what each person brought to the table and that was their new family and that kind of brought hope to them all that's perfectly said it's like the first time in the movie where there was some sense of everything's gonna be okay so mike what's your give me your lasting impression of this movie in summary and then while you're at it give me a number grade this movie's gonna be relevant well, it's still relevant now. It's going to be relevant in 2030, 2040. It's hard, it's hard to say that, especially about a zombie movie. That's almost like unprecedented. Uh, you can tell this movie was made by Oscar-winning people. It's so well-written. Uh, the uh, Grindhouse feel probably isn't for everybody, uh, the way it's made. It can be hard to look at sometimes. That's probably my one knock about it. But the soundtrack is just so epic. I love that music. I, th- I think this movie's epic. It's hard to make an epic horror movie, and Danny Boyle pulled it off. Uh, I'm going to give this an 8.8 out of 10. How nice, are you, Ty? Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. It's one thing to make an epic movie. It's another thing to make an epic yet socially relevant movie, You know, and we're talking about it 18 years after the fact. I think it was helped immensely by Alex Garland, who was a fantastic and is a fantastic novelist and has become a fantastic award-winning director partnered with Danny Boyle. I think it's, I think it's almost, it's, I think it's very difficult to find a better tandem. I love almost everything about it other than some of the cinematography has not aged well. Some of the editing and the camera work can be a little off-putting at times. It's very quick. Um, I think it works in some scenarios. It does not work in other scenarios. I've always been a big Killian Murphy fan from his role in Red Eye with Rachel McAdams to his role as the Scarecrow in Batman Begins, and this is just another fantastic performance from him. I really like this movie. I mean, I'm willing to go as high as a 9.2, and I think if you're a horror fan or a zombie fan or whatever, even if you just like thriller movies or suspense movies, and we're sitting here in 2020 and you have not seen this movie, I think you should change that. And with that being said, let's go to a quick intermission. It's refreshment time, and our refreshment stand is loaded with good things to eat. There's crispy, crunchy popcorn, and hot, delicious buttered popcorn, lots of candy, and frosty, refreshing cold drinks. Why not treat yourself at the refreshment center now? 28 Weeks Later came out in 2007, five years after its predecessor. Naturally, money was the main motivator here. Uh, 28 Days Later was a huge international financial success, especially here in America. Much like most sequels, the budget was higher for this movie at $15 million as compared to $8 million for 28 Days Later. But also, much like most sequels that aren't as good as the predecessor, this movie didn't bring in as much money at $65 million. Um, critics gave it 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience 
somewhat agreed as well with 66%. So not as much as 28 Days Later, but that's what we expect with, you know, lesser movies. And Danny Boyle and Alex Garland, neither of them returned for this film. Danny Boyle did handpick the new director. And in 28 weeks later, we get Juan Carlos Fresnadillo behind the camera, who is and was relatively unknown at the time. In fact, at the time, he was mainly working on TV commercials. And it's probably a very hard job to uh, fill the shoes of someone like Danny Boyle, you know, an Oscar-winning director but i think he does a very good job but you can tell uh in the opening scene you know as don's running in the field with all the zombies chasing him it's just so like beautiful to look at and you can tell that the uh, camera and the picture is a lot better than in 28 days later yeah i think he benefited from a couple things in terms of it just feeling like a good sequel chris gill came back to edit it so a lot of the editing looks very similar with the sharp cuts and it feels a little delirious and hyper at times. John Murphy came back to compose the score. So again, it sounds like a sequel to 28 Days Later. We did get, I think, an upgrade in the cinematography, like you said. In 28 Weeks Later here, we have Enrique Sediak. And in the first one, we had Anthony Dodd Mantle. And I think that combined with maybe some newer technology, again, this did come out five years after 28 Days Later, uh, we get a movie that's much easier on the eyes. I love how this movie picks up with an all-new cast, um, you know, because the story isn't about following around Jim and Selena. You know, there's a whole world that's been affected by what's going on, and so there's a lot more stories to tell. So I'm glad that they kind of ditched that storyline with Jim and Selena. As interesting as it was, it's time to pick up something new and find out some other stories. And we do get some good characters in this movie. I'll talk about that a little bit more in terms of my opinion as to how they relate to the characters in the first one. But we do get some good ones and we get some actors in this film that are really pre-fame. Like, you know, you get Jeremy Renner, which up to this point, I mean, I don't even really know what he was known for. Maybe he made a little bit of a name for himself in the movie SWAT. And then we get a very young Imogen Poots, who's become uh, a very good young actress here. If you've never seen the movie Green Room, check it out now with her. Great movie. Great horror movie. I think back when you and I made our list of the top 10 movies of the decade, I think that was actually on it was. my yeah. list. And it wasn't top 10 horror movies. It was top 10 everything. <laughs> so I, I love that movie. I do love her in it. Shout out to Anton Yelchin. Rest in peace. And then Rose Byrne, who's become very famous, and Idris Elba, who is mega famous. Uh, so we we get a bunch of actors pre-fame, and it's all pretty evident that these people can act. I don't think it's any surprise the notoriety these people have gained over the years. They all put in really good work here. And I think even the character of Andy, and I know that child actors can be uh, tough sometimes, but I think he did a pretty solid job. For for all the ways that it feels like a sequel to 28 Days Later, it's also a lot different. Um, I don't think there's a lot of, if any, underlying themes here. I don't think it's a political allegory. I really think this is a movie that just wanted to be a little more in your face. It's very heavy on the action. It's heavier on the gore. And I would actually argue that it's maybe even a little bit more scarier. Right. It's definitely not as deep 
you know, as 28 Days Later, but, you know, they upped the budget for this movie, so you're going to get more blood, more gore, more violence, and I think that's what the goal of this movie was all about, was just make a good old-fashioned action horror movie. I'm not putting this movie on the same level as Aliens, and I'm not putting 28 Days Later on the same level as Alien, but it's but it's similar where... You know, this movie's much more fast-paced and violent and action-heavy, similar to what Aliens was to Alien. And you talk about the fast pace of this movie. It's also 14 minutes shorter than 28 Days Later. So let's go through it, man. Let's start at the beginning now. So you get Richard Carlyle as Don. It starts in the middle of the rage outbreak where we were in 28 Days Later. He's with his wife and some other house guests. They're they're not as compatible as the characters that we get in 28 Days Later where they kind of work as a team and become a small little family. It's evident that there is some tension between these people. And it's there where they take in this little boy who was out on the streets running from infected people. At that point, the infected people take over the house. And Don is left with a difficult decision. His wife, Alice, does not want to leave the little kid that they took in. Don decides to leave them both and escapes while leaving his wife behind to become infected. And I think it's easy to watch that and think that Don is a dick and made a pretty brutal, selfish decision. I mean, I watched that and I didn't really get that feel. I mean, that had to be a tough choice. Um, It's not so much being a dick. I think he was just being smart. I mean, why sacrifice all family when you can live? Uh, You can kind of tell by the look on his face that, you know, he was kind of haunted by his choice of what he had to do. Um, and he was going to have to live with it. But I don't think that makes him a bad person. I don't think it makes him a bad husband. So, what? So yeah, I would do the exact same thing. So, if my girlfriend's listening and that ever happened, sorry, babe. You're out of luck. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's easy to watch as the viewer. Yeah, it's easy to sit on your couch and yeah. go, oh, what an asshole. Like, but... you're, you're behind the safety and comfort of a TV screen. But, like, I think if you're in that position, it's different. I'm not really sure what director Juan Carlos Fresnadillo wanted the viewer to feel in that moment, but I but I I would think most viewers felt anger toward Don. I was kind of hoping that there would be like a redemption scene with Don. He sort of turns into the bad guy almost. Yeah. So Don is reunited with his children, one of them played by Imogen Poots, Tammy, and also his son Andy. They have congregated to a safe zone. And I couldn't help but watch the movie and feel the similarities to some of what we're experiencing here with American sports, with the NBA and the NHL all playing in a bubble. It all it all felt very familiar here again in 2020. And to put it all in perspective, it's actually kind of creepy. But as we film this right now, lockdown started 28 weeks ago exactly as we're reviewing 28 weeks later. So that kind of puts it all in perspective. It's kind of crazy that they were able to contain this virus quicker than we were. (laughs) And so Don lies to Tammy and Andy. Maybe not lie. Let's say bends the truth a a little bit. That's a good Um, way to put it. He tells his children that that he saw Alice die and there there was nothing that he could do for it. 
Uh, later that night, Andy has a nightmare, a very creepy nightmare, by the way, where he sees his mother and she's tearing off her own face. So Andy, you know, being a being a young kid, wakes up and he's fearful that he's going to forget what his mom looks like. So Andy and Tammy leave the safe zone, obviously not a smart decision, Ooh. and they go back to their childhood home. And it's there where we get another very creepy moment. The scariest scene of the movie for me by far. Yeah, dude. I th- there's th- there's the moment where like he meets eye contact with his mom Alice, but you don't know if she's infected or not. Um, and then she hugs him, and yeah, man, it, it's just super creepy. Well, I wasn't even sure if uh, that was the mother because I'm listening to Don talk, and you think he's telling the truth when he's talking to his children because you kind of assumed he was telling the truth when he was talking to his children because of course it seemed like that she, she died. Now he did say. He tried to save her, and that's a lie. I take a little bit of an issue with how we got to the the outbreak here in 28 weeks later. The outbreak is considered to be under control, and it's really put back into motion when Tammy and Andy leave the safe zone. So it's a little bit like, you know, typically in a movie, you really want to root for these kids. You don't want them to die, and and that is the case, but also... On the flip side of that coin, they're really the ones that caused the second outbreak by leaving the safe zone. Right. You can say it's Don's fault for going into the room and trying to kiss his wife, but it's these little assholes' fault that there's (laughs) even this movie. Well, explain that scene to me, too. Did Don go in there thinking he could kiss her and not get infected, or did he just have so much remorse that he he just no longer had a will to live and he just sabotaged everything? I think it's actually the latter, where he just goes in and kiss, and he doesn't know what's going to happen, but I don't think he really cares. That scene did kind of bother me, though, because that would never happen. He just walks into a military facility with someone who's infected and kisses her. And that's kind of where the movie kind of starts to go down a little bit, because me and you were talking about how the first half hour of this movie is kind of spot on. It's almost Mm. perfect. Yeah, man, when he's leaving the house and the zombies are chasing after him, and when he was running to the boat, my thought was... Can the zombies swim? Will like will they right. go into the water? And they did. And he, he's like, he's chopping them up with the the boat motor and stuff like that. It's it's really cool. Yeah, the scene where he goes in and unauthorized and kisses his wife Alice. I just don't really understand what his motive was, other than he was just so remorseful and and basically grief stricken that he just didn't give a shit anymore. Um, but it's a little bit of a weird device to kind of set the movie in motion because at that point all hell breaks loose uh i do think it's a pretty brutal death that he you know when he kills his wife it's like gruesome as hell probably the you know more than any deaths we we saw in 28 days later so they replicate the kill toward the end of 28 days Mm -hmm. later where jim gouges out the eyes of the soldier but this is way more graphic there's so much more blood here and it's also more emotionally impactful because it's it's a husband killing his wife too uh so yeah really badass scene there um and you get a lot of them in this movie like i said there's a lot more gore in this movie and then after that is really when shit starts to hit the fan one by one people are becoming more infected it's kind of hard to keep track of like the of that scene because like so much is going on. Like I said, this is kind of where it starts to lose me a little bit in this movie. 
And of course, we still have that epic soundtrack by John Murphy. It's the same music, though. Do you think they would have been better off kind of having John Murphy spread his wings a little bit and try and give us something different? Or do you like the fact they took the same music from 28 Days Later? I personally don't mind it just because I think it's so well done. I I think it's almost like a don't fix what isn't broken thing. But uh, again, when we were reviewing our slasher movies, John Carpenter did something different in Halloween 2. And that was really fucking good too. So it's like, I guess there's two sides to that coin. No, that, that's a that's a good point. Um, I do think with the sequel being five years later, we could have gotten something different. Like it's not like this came out in two thousand three, so twenty eight days later was still fresh. I mean the the main soundtrack is so good that I agree you don't have to change it. But I did want to see John Murphy kind of spread his wings a little more and try and give us something different. Fair enough. I think the standouts in this movie, just my opinion, Rose Byrne and Imogen Poots. I think they're fantastic. There's um, a really good scene after Don becomes infected and the second outbreak is in full force when Rose, her character's name is Scarlet and Imogen's character's name is Tammy and they're they're on the roof. They've lost track of Andy, but they embrace each other. And to go back to the music again, man, John Murphy, not only is the music very effective, the, the reason that makes it so effective is because they found a knack for implementing it in the perfect moments of these movies where the intensity is building and the emotions are building and it starts playing here. It's just a super impactful scene. Rose Byrne, Imogen Poots, they're great throughout the entire movie, but they're especially good here. Do you like the characters more in this movie or in 28 Days Later? I like the characters in 28 Days Later more. That's really more of an indictment of how good that movie is versus this one. I don't think the characters in 28 Weeks Later are quite as good, despite the really good performances. To me, Hannah, hear me out, I know she's not very good from an acting standpoint, but I think she's more impactful than Tammy and Andy because of the relationship with Frank is, like, fully developed. And also, like, there's so much action in this movie that it doesn't really let up enough for us to feel the same way about Tammy and Andy. Right. Yeah, because in an action movie, you know, you're not really looking at the acting, you know, because 28 Days Later is so much more than just an action horror movie, you know. So you get to see kind of like the acting chops of Killian Murphy and Brendan Gleeson and, and you, Naomi Harris. Yeah, and you summed it up perfectly when we were still talking about 28 Days Later is it they sort of feel like a family. There, There's a moment where they really come together and, and learn to love each other and you just you don't get that in this movie. And again, that's just because it's so fast paced. Right. And this may have a better cast, you know, with Jeremy Renner and Idris Elba, but they just play some military guys at the end of it. You know, they're, they're not really the impactful characters that we got in 28 days later. Yeah. I really like Jeremy Renner, but he doesn't really move the needle that much in this movie. Like he, like I said, I mean, he was probably best known for SWAT it's a similar character. He plays the bad guy in SWAT, but it's the military type. And then the Hurt Locker came out, what, I believe one year after this. So he was almost typecasted in a way. And it's not that he's bad in this. He's, they just don't really give you enough reason to care, even though he kind of plays the hero toward the end. But there's just not enough character arc there. Another thing about this movie, and it's kind of stating the obvious, but you're kind of missing the whole setup where in the first one when Jim wakes up in the hospital and you get those incredible shots, you get an indication of as to how desolate and bleak things have become. 
and Jim is just wandering the streets, and then you get the exposition from Selena and Mark. I just think it makes 28 Days Later a lot more powerful and emotionally intense. Right. This movie is nowhere near as deep. You don't really have to think much when you're watching this movie. And that's not always a bad thing. And I'm not going to knock this movie for that because, you know, I don't like thinking sometimes when I'm watching a movie. Yeah, there's definitely not many underlying themes while watching this movie that you have to be on the lookout for. I think it depends what kind of person you are. Like, are you a person that just wants to be entertained to the fullest extent because you want like a popcorn action flick or do you want to think you know look this movie is a lot of gunfire it's a lot of explosions there's a pretty awesome scene where a helicopter is just chopping up people that are infected and limbs and blood are just flying everywhere you don't really get that in 28 days later um so it's it just depends on what you're looking for and also like i said about the ending in 28 days later where it kind of leaves with a with a hint of hope, like everything is going to be okay. You you don't really get that in this movie. This movie is really more focused on the action and the dread, whereas 28 Days Later really wanted to end the movie by leaving a good taste in people's mouths. So although this is a really good sequel to 28 Days Later, there are some things that are just constructed a little bit differently. Um, And I really like both. I think it just depends on what exactly you're looking for when you're sitting down and going to watch a movie. So what are your thoughts, Mike? How do you feel about this one versus 28 Days Later? And uh, give me a number grade. I think it's a very solid sequel to a great movie. 28 Days Later is kind of a hard movie to make a sequel to, but I think they kind of managed to pull it off really well, actually. And even with no Dan Boyle and and with a whole different cast. This movie does flow nice at an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, it doesn't drag at all. Very fast pace. If someone were to tell me that they like this movie more than 28 Days Later, I probably wouldn't argue too much with them because that's just their style. You know, you're know, you probably more into action horror than you are into psychological horror. Very solid movie. Not as good as 28 Days Later, in my opinion. Uh, I'll give this a 7.8 out of 10. Yeah, we're pretty close. I was going to go 7.6. It starts out really strong. In the beginning, it almost feels like the absolute perfect sequel. I think it does fizzle out a little bit. Ironically, I think it fizzles out a little bit when the second outbreak occurs after Don becomes infected. But I really have no major gripes about it. I I prefer a movie that makes you think a little bit and that has things to say. I'm not against movies like this that are really just more fast-paced and action-oriented. But for me, um, it's a it's a pretty decent step down from 28 days later. But hey, man, it's hard to make sequels, and they did overall they did a pretty damn good job. And I guess we should end with that. In June of last year, 2019, Danny Boyle confirmed that he and Alex Garland had recently met to discuss and begin preparation on a third film in this series. So that's good news, man. I think this is a a franchise that could use a third film, especially in today's society. And moreover than that, it sounds like Danny Boyle and Alex Garland would be involved, which even, you know, it's even better. Nothing official yet. I wonder if they would call it 28 months later or just wait till 2030 and call it 28 years later. Either way, we'll be at the theater. Yes, sir. Guys, we have some really cool things coming up that we're super excited about. 
We recently completed an interview. We're not going to say who with. You'll be finding out soon enough. And we also have another interview in the works, uh, people that we admire and people that we're super honored to speak with. So keep an eye on that stuff. We appreciate your support. To double down on what Mike said, we are Corn Sarah Pod on Twitter, Corn Sarah Podcast on Instagram. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, wherever you find your major podcasts. Hey, buy us a beer or a coffee. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash corn Sarah pod. If you're a fan, reward us for our hard work. We are putting in some time and uh, we appreciate you guys following along. <laughs>